Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Well, good morning and welcome to Horizon West Church Online. Uh, I want to invite you this evening uh, to join us at Harvest Church at 5 p.m. in Horizon West. Uh, as many of you would know, we've had several of these in-person gatherings over the last few months, and we have one tonight. So I want to invite you there. You're going to see the information on that uh, in the comments. But if you're ready to engage in that type of way in person, we invite you to come uh, tonight at 5 for that event. Hey, I also want to encourage you, uh, as we're just beginning uh, the message portion of this stream, I want to encourage you to stay to the very end uh, of the service. I have an important announcement that I want to make, um, and I don't want you to miss that. So stick around uh, to the very end of the service for that important announcement. Uh, This morning, we are starting a brand new series. In fact, the series is called Brand New. And so I want you to start thinking on those things. I want you to, in your mind, answer this question right where you're at. New is what? Maybe new is scary to you. Maybe new is exciting to you. Uh, Maybe new is confusing to you. But how would you answer that question? And if you're watching on a platform that allows you to, I encourage you to even enter that in the comments. What do you feel about things that are new? Or maybe how do you process change? Well, however we respond to brand new, however we process change, one thing is clear. New things represent change and change is hard. Even good change is hard. I can illustrate it for you in this way. For those of you that are married, you remember going from the single life to the married life, the wedding day, and it was one of the greatest days of your life. But the days that followed were tough, weren't they? As you started having to learn how to share a home with somebody and and perhaps share a bathroom sink and share the covers and things that you'd never had to do before. And that change is hard. Or maybe those of you that are parents, you can remember the day your first child was born and it was one of the greatest days of your life, but the days that followed were hard, weren't they? Up at three o'clock in the morning, changing diapers, washing six, eight, 10, 12 bottles a day and all that goes along with raising a child. Or or maybe you've changed jobs or even careers. Maybe you've moved to a new, new city, maybe even just a new home, but you know that even good change can be tough, can be hard. In fact, if I were uh, with you in person, if you were sitting in the seats right now, I would ask you this question. How many of you have experienced significant change in your life this year, 2020? And my expectation would be that most, if not all of you, would have your hands really high in the air saying, yes, this year, I, my family, my experience has changed drastically in some way. Not all change is good, right? We, we know that it's not all good, it's not all bad, but here's the truth. All change represents new opportunities. New opportunities. That's why we're talking about brand new. And here's the really good news. God is all about new things. In fact, did you know that 59 times in the New Testament, uh, we see that word new? And you might have noticed that I referred to the New Testament. It's embedded right there in the name of it. We see throughout scripture God's heart for new. We, we learn phrases like new covenant, new commandment, new wine, new self, new name, new heavens and new earth. God is all about the new. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about being brand 
new. We're going to have a different focus each week, but brand new. This morning, we're going to talk about brand new direction. And what I want to do in the next 20 or 25 minutes is give you three steps that can help you to embrace God's brand new direction in your life. So let me start by telling you a story. When I was in college, I was trying to get from Philadelphia to Dayton, Ohio for a wedding. I was with friends in Philly and I had not made plans. I had needed to get back to Dayton, Ohio before the rest of the friends were leaving Philadelphia. Uh, Poor planning, right? And and I found myself needing to, to get away back. And by some miracle, one of my friends happened to be getting back to Indiana for a wedding that same weekend and said, well, Chris, I can drive you, but here's the problem. I'm passing through Dayton, Ohio in the middle of the night, so I'm just going to have to drop you off because I have to be in Indiana the next morning. I said, that's fine, man. I'll figure it out from there. So this friend drove me from Philadelphia to Dayton, Ohio through the night, and at about four or five in the morning, he drops me at a Denny's, an all-night diner, and I've got my suitcase and my guitar. I don't know why I had my guitar, but I did, and I have my suit for the wedding. I've got all this luggage, and I'm sitting at a diner. Couldn't find a hotel that was open, so there I was. Well, as the morning unfolded, I realized that I actually didn't have the address of where this wedding was taking place. And so I just went and dropped my luggage off at a local fire station and started running through a neighborhood at sunrise. No idea where this neighborhood was in the greater Dayton area, nor where I was trying to get. But as I ran, I started to sing. I started to just sing worship songs as I'm running. And by yet another miracle... I saw a vehicle in a driveway in the middle of a neighborhood I had never been in in Dayton, Ohio, that belonged to my sister-in-law. And and in that moment, I realized that this was people that I can just be with and they can help me find where this place is and my problems were solved. Now, I tell you that story and you're probably thinking, man, you were really out of control when you were in college and you would be right. The, The truth is most of you have probably never planned a scenario so poorly or failed to plan so significantly. You go, man, how do you find yourself in that situation? But what all of us have experienced is coming to a place in life where we need direction that we don't have. Sometimes we know it and other times we don't, but all of us come to places in life where we need brand new direction. This morning, I want to look at the life of a man named Abraham. We're going to look at the very beginning of his story. And so go with me to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Let's begin there. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if I were to read that passage, those verses to you without any introduction, you'd probably think that we were dropping in on the middle of Abraham's story, right? Now, the Lord said to Abraham, go, and we just kind of have this this moment happening. But what's interesting is Abraham is only introduced seven verses earlier at the end of chapter 11. We know almost nothing about him. The only thing we know is where he is from and who his family of origin is. That's the only thing we know before God appears to Abraham. And God says in verse 1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I love this verse because it shows us that God's very first word to Abraham, the first word out of the mouth of God to Abraham 
was go. I said, go. That the very first meeting, the very first encounter, God is commissioning Abraham to go for him. The truth is this morning, God is on the move in our world and he invites us to move with him. He began that with Abraham by saying, Abraham, I want you to go. But then he did it again with Moses and with Gideon and with Isaiah and with Jonah and on and on through scripture, men and women who were specifically told by God, go. And guess what? We too have been told to go. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God has called us to go. And this calling, as it was with Abraham, is accompanied by God's promise. The promise of Jesus in Matthew 28, 20 is this, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. The first step in us embracing the brand new direction that God has for us is this, we must lay hold of God's promises. We must lay hold of God's promises. Did you notice in the verses we read about Abram what God promised him? Look at it again, verses two and three. God said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is an incredible promise of God and Abraham laid hold of it. In fact, Abraham's ability to obey the voice of God was contingent on the fact that he believed the promise of God. This is the case that that Paul builds in both uh, Galatians and also in Romans when he says about Abraham that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, let me ask you, what was it that Abraham believed? Abraham believed the promise of God. Abraham laid hold of God's promise and guided by God's promise for his life, he was able to walk in obedience to God's command. Paul's point in telling us this is, listen, he wasn't righteous because he was obeyed. The obedience was evidence of the righteousness that he had by faith. The same is true for us. In fact, this is what Paul says in Romans 4. Look at this passage with me. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, Paul is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is when we lay hold of God's promise, it is when we trust and put faith in God that God imparts righteousness to it and from there we live lives of obedience. This laying hold of the promises of God that we see in Genesis and repeated in the New Testament is something very, very different than what the prosperity gospel or positivity thinking preaches. See, those, those gospels, if you will, preach that if you just, if you just think it or say it, it, it can become so. And the problem is in some of those teachings and preachings, what they have people doing is laying hold of promises that God never made. 
I can tell you confidently that God has not promised for you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, at least not materially. In fact, what Jesus said to the disciples is, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face persecution. Some of you, most actually, uh, of the original 12, would face death. So, so it's not about laying hold of some, you know, God, I'm just going to believe it into existence. We're talking about a biblical faith that lays hold of what God has promised us. God made a clear promise to Abraham and Abraham simply believed it. The same is true for us who have laid hold of Jesus. We've laid hold of the promise that if we would trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation from our sins, if we will apply his death, burial, and resurrection on our account, we can stand before God saved and declared forgiven. And that is an incredible promise. It's a promise that we have the opportunity to lay hold of, just as Abraham laid hold of the promise of God in his day. See, Abraham was able to embrace God's new direction because as he laid hold of the promise of God, he was looking now not through eyes of fear, but eyes of faith. Looking not at the potential obstacles in the way, but looking past and through those to say, God has made me a promise, I'm laying hold of it, and whatever happens along the way, I'm trusting in what God has declared for my life. This laying hold of God's promise is what enabled Abraham to take the second step. Step number two for us as we embrace God's brand new direction, to let go of what is familiar. Let go of what is familiar. Look again at Genesis chapter 12 with me. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him and and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, and it goes on from there. We're going to stop for a second. Abraham let go of what was familiar. I, I told you earlier that we only know two things about Abraham as we begin chapter 12 here. All we know is where he is from and who his family of origin are. And guess what? When God shows up, he says, Abram, leave those two things behind. The the things that have anchored you, the things that define you, the things you've built your identity on, your, your place of origin, your family of origin, leave those. And God says, and go to, he doesn't even tell him where, he says, go to the land I will show you. Abraham had to let go of what was familiar. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there a decision that you're facing in which you are demanding God give you more information rather than simply responding in obedience to God's clear command? See, sometimes we can use a lack of information to go, well, well, I just don't, I I don't know if I can make this move or or if I can go in this way or I don't know if I can uh, make that transition because I just don't have all the facts. God isn't asking you to have all the facts. When God speaks, when God gives you the clear go, the clear move, we don't need any more information than that. When I was younger in my 20s, I was uh, living at home shortly after graduating college and I had the opportunity to move to Augusta, Georgia. I had never lived in Augusta. I don't even think I had ever been to Augusta, Georgia. But I left. I knew two people and they were married to each other. And I replanted my life at 25 years old in Augusta, Georgia. What I didn't know in going to this unknown place where I really hardly knew anybody at all or what was going to happen, what I didn't know is that God would lead me there to begin attending the first Southern Baptist church that I ever attended. 
And it just so happened that that church had a youth pastor that asked me to start volunteering and helping out with the student ministry. And I did that for the better part of two years. And then after about two years in Augusta, I sensed God's call to return back home to Sebring, Florida. Now, if going to Augusta was hard, where I didn't know anybody, it was actually tougher to come back to Sebring because I not only didn't know anybody, but I was pretty confident that there was nothing for me in Sebring. What I didn't know is that in Sebring, I would also meet somebody in 2008. I would meet my future wife, Nikki. And by going back to Sebring, going back to this place that I really did not want to go, but I felt God calling me to go, a place I didn't know where I was going to work or how it was going to work out, but just went in obedience, God led me to Nikki. And a couple years later when we were married, I reconnected with that student pastor in Augusta, Georgia at that first Southern Baptist church I'd ever worked at. And that individual said to me, hey, Chris, I'm looking for a college pastor. I'm now on staff at First Baptist Orlando. Would you be interested in the job? You see, it was these steps of obedience, this walking out into unknown territory, letting go of what was familiar to embrace what was different and new. These were the very places that God met me, that God started putting the pieces of my life together to experience and reap the benefit, the blessings that I now live with in my life years and years later. You see, there was nothing wrong with Abraham's home country. There was nothing wrong with his family of origin. What was wrong or problematic is that Abraham could not experience in Ur, where he was from, what God had for him in Canaan, where he was to go. Let me say it this way. If God is moving you, it is because he has something better for you in the unfamiliar new than what you're experiencing in the familiar old. And some of you are so resistant to that change. Some of you are so resistant to God's new direction in your life that you dig in your heels and you go, no, I won't change. I'll only stay where it's familiar. And you're missing, you're missing the blessings that God has for you in this next season. And by the way, for those of you that are wrestling with this and stepping out into the unknown, may I remind you what I said to you last week. I want to say it again. Every inclination of the heart of God toward you is good. He's not disrupting your life to make things worse for you. He's not breaking you to to scatter you to pieces. What God's doing is refining you. He's correcting you. He's changing you. He's directing you into a better future. The question is, will you lay hold of God's promise? And are you willing to let go of what is familiar? Now, I will say this. One of the things I love in the passage God doesn't tell Abraham to go all by himself. He does not send him in isolation. That's never God's way. God always is going to have some people around us. And if they're not going with us, he'll send them to us when we get to the new place. That's how he works. For Abraham, he was able to take his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, and some of the servants that they had. These are what I would call Abraham's lifers. These were the people that that Abraham had planned to be with him for the long haul. And hopefully you have some lifers. If you're married, your spouse is a lifer. If you're a parent, your child is a lifer. Although I will say they don't need to be sleeping in your house when they're 35 years old. You can go ahead and move them on. But you're never going to stop being their parent, right? They're, they're with you for the long haul. Maybe you even have two or three or maybe four really good friends who are lifers. You go, man, they're going to go with me wherever I go. And even if they're not physically there, you know, we're going to stay connected. We're going to stay in each other's life. And I hope you have those people. But let me say this. Sometimes even the lifers go from us. 
whether by their choice or by death, sometimes people that we thought were going to be with us for the long haul end up not to be. A few years back, I remember talking with Pastor Jimmy Nott at our John Young campus, and he gave me an illustration or a challenging thought. He said, Chris, imagine that you are uh, at, you know, you're just somewhere, you're in a meeting or whatever it is, you get a phone call. And the phone calls from the, the Florida Highway Patrol and they say, Mr. Ogden, we have terrible news, uh, but your wife and your children have been in a horrific car accident on I-4 and we regret to inform you that they are, they are not living. They, they have died. Now, that would obviously be crushing and paralyzing and all of those things, but, but Jimmy's point in asking this and walking through the scenario was, what do you do when everything in your life crumbles? Where, where do you go? And this is what I would say to you, if that has happened to you or when that happens to you, what you do is you go back to step one and you lay hold of God's promises. See, I wish I could promise you that it's going to be good for you, that the things you're praying about will turn out the way you want them to. I pray that they do, but I know in this world we will have trouble. That is what Jesus said. And we must always go back and again and again go back and reclaim that first step of laying hold of God's promise for us. All things do work together for good to those who are loved by God and are called according to his purpose. So if you're in that season, would you lay hold of God's promise? Let go of what is familiar. And step number three, lift up an offering of praise. Let's go back one more time to Genesis chapter 12. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So Abraham built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Step three, lift up an offering of praise. You, you see in verse six there this phrase that we could overlook. It says that at the time the Canaanites were in the land. We go, well, what does that mean or what does that matter? Well, we might overlook it, but I can promise you that Abraham did not overlook that fact. Here's what you need to know about the Canaanites. The Canaanites were descended from Canaan, which was the son of Ham, who was the son of Noah, and Ham and his son Canaan were under the curse of God. For, for sin, for actions that defied and, and went in rebellion toward God. And, and those, uh, that, that man Canaan, as he started having children, these people were called the Canaanites. They started settling in cities. Some of these might sound familiar. Cities like Sodom, Gomorrah, Jericho. And if you have some uh, baseline biblical understanding, you know, man, those cities were not godly cities. Those weren't places where God was exalted and God was glorified. In fact, the Canaanites would be a constant thorn in the side of the Israelite people. But it's where God called Abraham to go. See, the reality is that ease, comfort, and harmony are not necessarily indicators of God's direction in your life. We want to go well, man, if things are going poorly, maybe, maybe I heard God wrong or maybe I need to shift or move or you know, I, I need to disrupt because, because it's not going the way I wanted it to go. Therefore, we draw these different conclusions. But the truth is ease and personal, interpersonal harmony and, and comfort, those aren't really indicators of God's call in your life. If they were, we wouldn't have people going to the mission field and risking their life for the sake of the gospel. We, we need a different metric for evaluating God's call in our life. See, when Abram got to the land of Canaan, what God does is he shows up 
and he again reaffirms his promise to Abraham. I think it's because when Abraham got there, he started going, God, are you sure about this? Like, is this really where I'm supposed to be? And maybe you've been in a place like that where you showed up, you stepped out in faith, you went, but things got hard and you started going, man, maybe I didn't hear from the Lord right. This is what I know to be true. The only thing in life about which you must be certain is this. God has led me here. He is with me and he is working things out for my good. That's it. The rest of it can remain uncertain. The rest of it can be challenging or difficult. But if you know God has called you where you are and you know that he's with you and he's working things out for your good, you can remain, you can hang on to that certainty. It's why Ansel and Tiffany, two of our missionaries, are able to go and live their lives in Madagascar among the Antimorum people and sow seeds of the gospel. It's why another two of our missionaries, Matt and Jen, are able to live in East Asia and bring the gospel to a place where the gospel is so desperately needed. It's why we as individuals and as a Horizon West Church community can weather the storms of 2020 and hang on to the promises of God because we know that God has called us to be where we are, to do what we're doing, and we're pressing in to what he has for us. It's also the reason that Jesus could pray on the night he was crucified. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew that what he was facing at the cross was going to be pain and going to be shame and mockery and betrayal and abandonment and every human thing we would ever try to avoid would be his experience over the next 24 hours. And yet he knew, I'm where I'm supposed to be. God has led me here. He is with me. He is working things out for my good. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews says of Jesus in chapter 12, verse 2. It says, we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We know that Jesus' ability to, to press into the cross was because he knew there was good on the other side. There is always good on the other side. Your path may be hard, but I promise you, the best is in front of you. The best is in front of you. And it may be pressing more deeply into where God has you and, and laying hold of his promises. Or it may be that brand new direction of God saying, this is the new, the unfamiliar, but you must go in obedience. And if you go, he will be with you. And so verse 7, Abraham, it says, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. My translation of that verse is simply this. Abraham lifted up an offering of praise. In spite of uncertainty, in the face of disruption and danger, in the presence of his enemies, Abraham lifted up his offering of praise in the land of Canaan. A few years back, I heard a story, maybe actually less than that, maybe a year ago, heard a story of a, a church out west on the west coast and this church was a, a tight-knit community and one of their members had a child uh, named Jackson who was fighting for his life in the hospital. And some of the worship leaders from that church, Jonathan and Melissa, uh, were praying over this child, praying for this child, asking God for a miracle. And as they prayed, they, they began to just sing and verbalize a song that God gave them in that moment as they prayed for the life of this child. 
And this was their prayer. This was their song. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. It may be that you are in a place like Abraham found himself where everything was unfamiliar. Nothing felt safe or certain except this. He knew God was with him. And in that place, he lifted up an offering of praise. And some of you may even in this moment on this day need to build your altar of praise, to raise your hallelujah, not because everything has gotten figured out, not because everything has turned out for the good, but because you're laying hold of God's promise that it will. And there, in the middle of the mess, you would build your altar of praise to the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.